Psalm 122. We'll read verse 1 at the outset. A song of degrees of David. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. When this passage is preached, it's often preached with the emphasis on the house referring to the temple or the center of worship. And it's often uh, taught with a contemporary or modern emphasis on the Lord's house, the assembling of his church in the modern era. And I'm not upset at all with that uh, idea. In this sense of being a song of degrees, when it says a song of degrees, it's a song of ascension, okay, or a song of going up. So uh, it's a song that people would would sing as they were going to the house of the Lord, okay? So uh, in that, we can understand a few basic elements of the mode or the heart and the fellowship of going to the house of the Lord. This psalm is so much deeper than, than church, but we're not going to neglect that idea here at the outset. Okay. So when it says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The Lord's house or his habitation is what's being spoken of. He has the preeminence in that place. Okay. So you might have heard the statement by someone before, my house, my rules, you know. My room, my rules, kids say, you know, sometimes. The Lord's house, he has the preeminence in his worship. Okay, there's not as several different types of worship that were permitted in the Old Testament, and there's not several types of worship that are permitted in the New. Can we say that every assembly house that claims the name of the Lord from here south is the house of the Lord? I would not make that claim at all. Because in those places, the Lord doesn't have preeminence. The will of man has preeminence. The lustful nature of man has preeminence. Uh... Satan has preeminence. Idols have preeminence. All, of, all, all sorts of things have preeminence. But when we say entering into the house of the Lord, we're talking about God's house. That he, it is His habitation, His place there. All things in the house of the Lord, then, were to center around Him. Okay, When they would sing this song of degrees, it's a song not about Jerusalem, but a song about God, a song about the Lord. Brother Gary had mentioned that a lot of our songs are self-centered, and that's true. We talk about what the Lord has done for us. And in our songbook, a lot of them are just awful, and we don't sing them. They talk about what man has done for the Lord. But singing a a song that, oh, worship the king, that's a God-centered song. He is the one that is to be praised and adored. All things in his house are to center around him and are to point to him now this is before the temple this is when the ark still dwelt in a, in a tabernacle in a, in a temporary dwelling before it came into the temple that Solomon would have built but all things included the people right the people were to point one another to the Lord the artifacts in this place were to point folks to the Lord it was his house it was 
to represent Him. It's a representative place of the omnipresent God. So when we say we go to the Lord's house, it's not like His house, someplace else is not His, right? God is everywhere. You know, those are God's trees back here. <laughs> those are God's trees over there. And in fact, every house is His house, and He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But this place was a representative place of the omnipresent God. David writes that he was glad when he was encouraged to go to the Lord's house, a special and distinctive place. He was glad about it. That associated gladness was going on. Gladness means rejoicing. He was gleesome. He was making glad. He was brightened up. It cheered him up. Let's go to the house of the Lord. Amen. Oh boy. These bricks and stuff did not save my soul. These in fact, if you look at a lot of the stuff, it's falling apart. We need to change light bulbs and in different places, and things need new batteries and all kinds of stuff. The people who put this stuff together did not save my soul. But this place, coming to this place, dedicated to the service of the Lord, where the people of God meet with intention of adoring God, should certainly brighten me up with gladness. And everyone that's a child of God, it ought to brighten us up. It ought to be the we ought to it ought to be the highlight of our week to assemble in the Lord's house and be glad about it. He says, They. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go. The encouragement there of fellow believers. You see this world will encourage you to do everything in the world but rejoice and be glad in the things of God. Even my own flesh tries to knock me down from rejoicing in the things of God. But praise the Lord for brothers and sisters who encourage us to seek the things of God among God's people in God's house or on God's word pointing to Christ. Brother Shane stood up before you this morning. And talked about the God of our faith, Jesus Christ. He pointed you. It was an encouragement. For whatever reason, David and the other people were not in the house of the Lord. I don't live in this building, and neither do you. And we don't live assembled in the house of the Lord. But what a wonderful encouragement. There's no way I can express to you the encouragement to me. When I said, hey, let's go over and assemble two and a half hours away, meeting at 7 o'clock in the morning, and y'all were here and were glad about it. As your pastor, that made me so happy. That was such an encouragement that the people of God rejoiced in going to the house of the Lord. He surrounded himself with people. David, he liked people that would say to him, let's go to the house of the Lord. He liked people and surrounded himself with people that loved the Lord himself. They didn't want to just go to the house of the Lord to see if they could rob the coffers or to, to meet some girls or whatever. They were going to the house of the Lord because they loved the Lord. And as much as he was glad when they said it to him, I feel like they were as much glad or maybe more glad when they said, let's go. 
You know, it was, it was wonderful. They love the house of the Lord. They love things, they don't just love the Lord, but they love things pertaining to God, and things that point toward the Lord. There was a love there. And look, they love David well enough to encourage him to go to the house of the Lord. That's love. I sent a message to y'all last night. If, if somebody says that the truth is hate, then they hate the truth. Right? Well, David loved it, that they encouraged him. Well, what if... We don't know what was going on in David's life right here. It could be that he just walked away from Bathsheba, but somebody said, let's go to the house of the Lord. It could be that he just had his friend Uriah murdered. And somebody said, let's go to the house of the Lord. We don't know what happened in David's life when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. He didn't get mad at him, though, did he? He was glad about it. He was glad. You know, a lot of times, and I've experienced this in my own life, I've been so mad I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to go to the house of the Lord. I, didn't, I was just so angry I had to stay home. Think about the sinfulness of that. Where We sing a song, we know a song, where could I go but to the Lord? Well, again, God's everywhere, but this is His house. They loved Him and encouraged Him to go to the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord where the picture of the sacrifice of Christ was made for the people by the law of Moses. Remember that law of Moses that the people were sinners and daily they brought different sacrifices by the book of Leviticus. Daily they brought sacrifices that were to point them to their, their sinfulness in the law. But the substitution of Jesus Christ, that's a glad thing to be reminded of the sovereignty of God by grace towards sinners. Pointing toward Christ in His, word, in His, in His dying love for sinners. Oh, that's a glad thing. It's a glad thing to be pointed to the Lord in His house. A person who can't stand the house of God, people encouraging them to go to the house of the Lord, and even the gospel of the house of the Lord simply won't go. There's some people that that uh, that you can beg with them and plead with them to, to hey, why don't you come to church with us? Why don't you come? Why don't you come? They just won't. Some people you can't beat them off with a stick. What is your, I think I know the answer to the question already. What's your opinion of the house of the Lord? I know the, uh, the answer to that already. As Brother Shane was indicating earlier, I know Brother Gary's opinion of the house of the Lord because he stood in the gap for a lot of years. I know y'all's opinion of the Lord because you moved a good long way, finding it necessary. I know some of y'all's opinion of the Lord because you stood before this body and confessed repentance and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Making a profession of faith to be part of it. But God, by the grace of God, praising God, He has given us a gladness. Again, this, this church won't save anybody. But I'm glad that when we say, let's go to the house of the Lord, that Christ is in the center of all things. This psalm, in Psalm 122, is where we are. This psalm is much bigger, though, than just saying, let's be happy and going to church. 
We'll read it again in its entirety, the psalm. He says in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go unto the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whether the tribes go up or the tribes of Israel go up, the tribes of the Lord unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek thy good. Again, this is a song of degrees or a song of ascension. David going up to Jerusalem. And I believe in a prophetic sense, it's, it's a song about the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so now, those papers I handed out. Lex, if you wouldn't, don't mind that young man back there, hand him an extra paper if we have one. The kingdom. Does everybody have an understanding of dispensationalism or know what I'm talking about when I say dispensationalism? Uh, time, from the beginning of time, is broken up into sections of time. Okay? So take that piece of paper that you have. And we'll look at it. Before we can understand some things about the kingdom, we have to understand some things about uh, the different eras that have been in this world. In that paper on the left-hand side, you see eternity past. Okay, Before, anything, before Genesis 1-1, before in the beginning God created, there was God and He alone. Then He created man. And man, in his innocent state, you see the first age there is the age of innocence. In his innocent state, God had created him without sin. Okay, There was no sin in his life. He, if There was only one man that ever lived that had a, a truly free will. Everybody else has a will, bound, uh, will that is bound by sin. But Adam had a true free will. But his true free will, being a man, he rebelled against God. Okay? And the first dispensation or the first era of mankind ended with the fall of man and expulsion from the garden. It ended in failure. Okay? Then you have the next uh, dispensation or era of mankind. Man of uh, the period of conscience or dispensation of conscience. Men did as they pleased. Okay? And as men did as they pleased, in Genesis chapter 6, God saw the hearts of men were on were wicked daily, and he flooded them out. The conscience of men, the innocence of man led in failure and the fall. The, in, the conscience of man lends in, ends in failure and led the flood. You see? After the flood, God told Noah, go forth and multiply. And after that, men started congregating in different places, and they started a, a government rule. And in that government rule, you had old Nimrod building a tower, didn't he? And God said, I will stop that. And he confused the languages and there was a great dispersion. Human government. People with election time coming up, they think government will save you. No matter who you vote for, your government will not save you. Human government failed. You have then the dispensation of promise. God called Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. Gave him promises. 
And you say, well, the promises of God don't fail. No, but people do. God said, Abraham, go to this land. This is your land. You stay right here. You keep it. How did it end? By man disobeying God. And they ended up not in the land of promise, but in Egypt in a land of bondage. It ended in bondage. Then you have the law. Deliverance from bondage. Well, the age of law... It ended not by, because man had overcome anything, but it ended by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, there are some people who continue by, by law. They say that they can be saved by their own good works, and that's not true. By the deeds of the law shall no man be justified, it says in Romans chapter 3. And it will end in failure. But now, today, we're living in the, in the sixth era of that age of grace. Okay? Where the gospel is preached freely throughout the world. And Jesus Christ is proclaimed. That his death, burial, and resurrection. At the end of the age of grace, the time of grace, how is it going to end? It will end in Revelation chapter 19. When God will destroy the armies that will compile against him along with Antichrist. Amen. And then will come the seventh age, that kingdom thousand year reign that thousand year reign it is is proclaimed in the book of revelation we'll read this quickly and then we'll move on but i I want you to see this before we jump into it uh the 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 psalm 122 the kingdom revelation chapter 20 and it says in verse uh one revelation chapter 20 verse one i saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years be fulfilled. That's the kingdom. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That's the literal thousand year kingdom. There are some people that think that the kingdom started in 70 AD, which if you're thinking that, that Satan is bound right now and Christ is ruling right now in a literal throne and in his literal kingdom, then then we need to talk after services. But that kingdom, that thousand years, I believe that's what uh, David is speaking of in the text. And we'll go back and reread it, and you think, wow, he's looking about not going, I mean, in the immediate context, he's saying going up to Jerusalem, but he's glad when they, they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's, let's march in advance and go into the kingdom age of Christ is what his gladness is really about. And you can see that in the text. Again, the immediate context is going to the house of the habitation of the Lord. Uh, Look in 2 Chronicles, if you would, please. 2 Chronicles um, and verse 6. 2 Chronicles, excuse me, chapter 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And verse 4. 
This is Solomon speaking. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who hath with his hands fulfilled that which he spake with his mouth to my father David, saying, Since the day that I brought forth my people out of the land of Egypt, I chose no city among all the tribes of Israel to build and house in, that my name might be there. Neither chose I any man to be ruler over my people Israel. But I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name or my reputation or my fame might be there, and have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Now turn back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, that's uh, one of the books of Moses there. That's in, in chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12, please. He says in verse 5, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5. But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek or go after, and thither shalt thou come. So when he said, let's go unto the house of the Lord, he was excited because God had put his name there. And thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and your heave offerings of your hand and your vows and your freewill offerings and the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks. Now of a truth, there is no doubt that the people of God were to meditate in their own homes and with their children. They were to pray and they were to live godly lives day by day. But that does not give them permission to violate the, the, the standard that God had said that he would be met and they should come to his house with their offerings of worship. That principle is consistent today. I mean, we could sit at home and read on our own and, and that's a good thing to do. But the Lord said that we should assemble and forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And he says that in Hebrews chapter 10. And we read in verse 7 as well. And there ye shall eat before the Lord your God, and shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand into, ye and your households, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. The Lord had set a place for the people of, uh, of God to, to worship. And it was to be a glad and rejoicing thing to do, to go into the house of the Lord. And I believe David, he's, he's speaking going into the house of the Lord, that he was glad. He says he was glad. But in that future context, there was a, there's an anticipation of going into that kingdom of Christ. Look, if you would, please, in the book of Acts. That anticipation isn't just an Old Testament thing, but it's a, it's a New Testament thing. In Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, we're going we're gonna to marry a couple of ideas here together. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. When they were therefore come together... Well, who's they? The people of God. Where did they come together? We'll read on. They ask of Him, Christ. So the people of God were met together seeking the things of Christ from God Himself, from Jesus Christ Himself. This is the church that was at Jerusalem that Jesus Christ had started when they were come together, saying, Lord, will Thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They were glad to ask him about it. It was something they looked forward to. They wanted to enter into the house of God, that kingdom. And he said unto them, It is not given for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his power. He didn't tell them no. He didn't tell them that was exaggeration or hyperbole. 
He didn't tell them those things are, are foolish and don't talk about them. He said the kingdom's coming, but you're not supposed to know when. He gave them encouragement that the kingdom would come. There is to be a general longing of every believer, particularly believing Jews, but we today as Gentiles, we're to long for the kingdom of Christ. That kingdom, let's, let's read some things about that kingdom. First of all, Christ is there. He is, the, he is the center of that kingdom. Without the king, there is no kingdom. Isaiah chapter 11, please turn there. Isaiah chapter 11. Why would we be glad to go into the kingdom or the house, the habitation of the Lord, where Jesus Christ himself will sit in the seat? Why would we be glad about that and looking forward to that? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, nor reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor. So he's, uh, he, our leaders, you know, they can have the best intentions and the best commercials and the best billboards or whatever, but they don't judge in righteousness. They judge after the, the matters of their own heart. They, they, they judge after what they see and what they hear, but Jesus Christ judges after righteousness. And that's, if someone longs after righteousness, that's a, that's a very glad thought. He shall judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall they slay the wicked. So not only will righteousness thrive, but wickedness shall be cut back. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. Again, this is not hyperbole. This is not exaggeration. This is what the kingdom will be like. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and the cattle, child, or the little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw with the ox. Why is that important? It's a time of tranquility, a time of peace, a time of calm and quiet. The suckling child shall play on the hole of an asp, a deadly snake. And the weaned child, the toddler, shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den, another deadly snake. They shall not hurt and destroy in all, uh, in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Doesn't that make you glad when, when someone says, Hey, we're going into the kingdom. The kingdom is coming. Isn't that a wonderful idea? And in that day shall the root of Jesse, Jesus Christ, which shall stand for an ensign or a sign of the people, to it shall, shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. That kingdom shall be glorious. It ought to make us glad when someone says, we're going to the house of the Lord. Amen. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Petros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. So from all over the world that is sent unto Jerusalem. Verses 1 and 2. He was glad. 
He said, our feet, in, in our text in Psalm 122, our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. This isn't some metaphor. He's saying, my feet will be there. Child of God, isn't it an exciting thing that one day soon, our feet will be in the, in the courts of Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Amen. It's wonderful. With gladness and rejoicing. The, third, the second section here, the first section was the ascent to Jerusalem. The second section is the praise, purpose, and promise of Jerusalem. Again, let's read it again. And read it in the context of that coming kingdom where Satan's bound, Christ is ruling, and everything is well. It's peace and quiet. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact or, or, or made together. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, go unto the testimony of Israel or the word of God, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. The immediate context, again, public worship, corporate worship, they would go up and give thanks unto the name of the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 3, if you look there, Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 21, It says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Okay? So he's going to receive glory. He's to receive glory and praise and thanks. We're to bring our gladness publicly to the house of the Lord. While we are supposed to worship privately, my daily life and my daily being is supposed to be a life of worship. We're to bring our worship into the house of the Lord corporately as a body and seek him. We're to read privately, study privately, pray, sing, rejoice privately. But these men, as it says in verse 4, the tribes go up unto the testimony of Israel, giving thanks unto the name of the Lord. Is that where our hearts are when we come into this place? We should pray unto the Lord to fit our hearts. Don't wait until you're outside in the parking lot. We should prepare. We should ask the Lord to prepare our hearts that we would give thanks in his courts. Jerusalem was built by men, but God gave the increase there. Yeah. Look at, 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 the, at Psalm 127, just across the page. Except the Lord build the house, they that labor in it, they, they labor in vain that build it. That's the first part of that verse. So the house of the Lord that they were going to, the, it was men that put those things together, that they, they put the walls and the bricks and all those things. But it was God that built it. Just as much it was, as it was Jesus Christ himself that told Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. He built it in Matthew chapter 16. But the people of God were given command, and it was their joy to go up, in verse 4 again of our text, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. It ought to be our, our uh, adoration. If someone does not enjoy giving thanks unto the Lord, then they will not enjoy eternity very much. If they're a child of God, and really, if someone does not enjoy adoring the Lord, I question if they are a child of God. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10, 
The four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying... So that word cast, it's a, it's, they're continually worshiping and saying these things. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. So if someone does not enjoy falling down before the Lord and saying, Thou art worthy in this life, then that, then this, I mean, this is the outcome for believers that they'll be doing it through eternity. I have a hard time believing someone is saved if they don't believe, enjoy doing it now. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. They went up and they gave thanks. That was the immediate context that David and his friends, his friends said to him, let's go to the house of the Lord. And they went and they gave thanks unto the testimony or the word of God pointing to Christ himself. In that future context, we see though in verse 5 it says, for there are set thrones of judgment the thrones of the house of David. Well, we read in, a, in, a, in Isaiah 11 that that root of Jesse, well, that is uh, the bloodline of David, the son of David, Jesus Christ himself. In Revelation chapter 1, excuse me, in verse, chapter 20 and verse 4, we read, and we will read again, chapter 20, verse 4 of the book of Revelation, and I saw thrones. Whoa, David spoke of thrones under the, and of the children of Israel, but it was surrounded under the house of David. In this passage, he saw thrones, and upon them were the believers that, that had lost their heads for the gospel's sake. And those thrones, they had administrative duties, but Christ reigned a thousand years, and they with him. Again, you see in this text that David is longing for that kingdom. When Christ is on His throne and He has given administrative duty to His people, for there are thrones set there in judgment, and those are all submitting to the house of David again, which is Jesus Christ Himself. The thrones and administrative, it's giving priority to thanks. Okay? So these thrones, it's not that these thrones have, uh, that they, on their thrones, now they are to be worshipped or they are to be elevated or acknowledged in any way. But their acknowledgement and their administrative duty is to point to the throne of Jesus Christ Himself. And that is the joy of that thanksgiving. That, that thanksgiving, that falling down and worshiping the Lamb of God. What a day the kingdom is. And, and, and David is expressing his longing for that day. In verses 6 through 9, you see the confident prayer of David in this song. He says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Well, it's written down already that Jerusalem will come to peace for a thousand years, you see. But that is no reason for us not to pray those things. We're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yeah. Jerusalem, uh, Israel, they just signed a peace accord with United Arab Emirates and, and Bahrain and, and maybe some other countries are going to follow in. And yes, it is good that they, they would have peace here on this earth. But the peace of Jerusalem is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to pray for that. It is to be acknowledged in our peace, uh, our, our will for peace of Jerusalem in that kingdom should thrill our hearts that one day that prayer will be answered. You know, I can pray for things and I don't know if it will be answered or not, but I know if I pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the kingdom of Christ, that prayer will be answered. I know that. And prosperity within thy gates, he says. That prayer and prosperity 
Look, if you would, in Genesis chapter 12, we alluded to it earlier, Genesis chapter 12, when, when God had called Abraham, he gave him tones of the kingdom as well. Genesis chapter 12, if you would, please. In that dispensation of the kingdom. We're going to use that word again. Uh, chapter 12, in verse 1. Now the Lord hath said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. Well, that blessing will come in Christ. And make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families, or all nations, types of people of the earth, be blessed. The earth was going to be blessed, is going to be blessed in the kingdom of Christ. Prosperity, blessing, and that by the hand of God. When he says in our text, Psalm 122, we read verse, uh, verse 7, Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. Peace meaning quiet or, or calmness. And prosperity uh, uh, meaning a, a advancement, you know, wealth, generosity. For my brethren and companions' sake. Well, the brethren was the bloodline of the Jews. But his companions are those by relative kinship. Okay? Companions. Now, according to Galatians chapter 3, if we believe in, in Christ, we're also of the seed of Abraham. That's what it says in Galatians chapter 3. So then we may, be say, we may say that we are the brethren, but we are the companions or the relative kinship of David as well. And that by adoption. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. In this passage we read so often, but please look at it in this context. Ephesians chapter 1. When David is praying for his, for his brethren and his companions in the context of the kingdom, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestinated us under the adoption of children. Adoption, we're His, His children, by Christ, Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. So by that adoption, by Jesus literally taking the place of sinners, that He died and had the, the sinful uh, works of His people put upon Him, He paid for those sins, and His people became His children. By that very idea... For the sake of the brethren, his companions, David prays. He prays for peace within Jerusalem. He prays for the kingdom. We ought to pray for the kingdom. You know what the kingdom would mean? That would mean that every person that Jesus desired to save and every person he died for would have ultimately been saved. If we're in the kingdom, that means salvation has been accomplished. Now we know it was accomplished at Calvary. But in, in practicality, every soul had been saved by design. We know it's a time that, that Christ will indeed rule and reign. How important is prayer for the kingdom? He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. How important is that? Well, it's, it's important in our daily lives so much that when Jesus, if you look in Matthew chapter 6, when he was teaching on prayer, what did he say? 
Matthew chapter 6, and I want you to read it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. He says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Well, who can pray? A child of God. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So it's, it's adoring and worship God in prayer. Yeah. And the very next thing to come out of his mouth, thy kingdom come. Amen. Jesus himself promotes the coming of the kingdom. And he promotes it in such a way that we are to pray for it. I know I, I pray throughout my day. How often do I pray for the coming kingdom? Not as often as I ought. I don't pray as often as I ought, but I don't pray as often for the kingdom as I ought for sure. It's a high priority in prayer, our prayer for the kingdom. David, as he voiced his prayer, his priority for the kingdom was one of gladness, wasn't it? I was glad when they said, we're going to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, the kingdom is coming. Peace and safety, love and joy. It was a high priority in prayer. It will also be a high priority in our daily, li daily living, our daily witness. In the book of Mark, which is right behind Matthew. And Jesus is our chief example here. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Not just the gospel, but the gospel of the kingdom of God. Saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus himself associated the urgency of the kingdom with the urgency of the gospel. If the urgency of the gospel is priority, and the urgency of the kingdom is at priority, and Jesus himself said the time is at hand, I want to get personal with myself. Do I live like it's a priority? Or do I go out and try to establish my own kingdom? You know, I should be doing this and this and this for the Lord, but I'd rather play Nintendo. I should be doing this and this and this for the Lord, but I'd rather be watching YouTube. I'd rather be doing this and this and this and this, but I, I've got brush and sticks to pick up, and I've got this and this and this. No. The kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. Our objective, then, preaching the gospel and the kingdom of God is a priority. Now, it'll be a glad priority. Again, when we read the psalm, David was glad, wasn't he? As we're marching to Zion, as that song says, we ought to be doing it with gladness. The days of our years ought to be gladness unto the king of the kingdom, which is coming. How important. You know, you look back at your dispensation map. Look at it. Every age came to an end, didn't it? Every age came to an end. And you look at that, that's a span of thousands of years. Well, my life's going to end one day too. And I might not be alive until the coming of the Lord, meaning I might not be alive under the rapture, but... Praise God, there's hope even in that, that the dead in Christ shall rise first. But one of these days, that second coming at the end of the tribulation period is going to come. We're going to enter into the kingdom. And that's a wonderful thing. 
Does it make me glad and rejoice and brighten up when people say, hey, we're, the kingdom's coming? The kingdom's coming? Let's go into the house of the Lord. Does that make me glad? Now, now you can see when you put the two ideas together, the immediate context when David was saying, let's go worship God in his house, and we're talking about the kingdom. If somebody doesn't rejoice and be glad about the idea of giving thanks to God in God's house with God's people around God's word, then they logically have no desire for the Lord's kingdom and their life will show evidence of that. Their life will show evidence of that. Simply, the, child, the life of the child of Christ, we're joint heirs with Christ. That's what it says in Romans chapter 8. We're joint heirs. Let's read that. Romans chapter 8. That's such an important thing. If it's Christ's kingdom, you know, if I said I have a car outside and y'all are joint heirs with it, well, that means it's your car too, right? Well, if Christ, the Son of God, has a kingdom and we're joint heirs with Christ, that means, I mean, we're not deity, but we do have reason to look forward to that kingdom being joint heirs. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And also, that witness won't just be an internal thing, it'll be an external thing. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Yes, indeed will show the evidence of the longing for the, the coming of the kingdom of Christ. And I believe that's what David was singing about. I really do. In this context, looking at the attributes of one who longs and prays for the kingdom, that look, they have prayer. Verse 6, there's prayer, making request unto God according to His will, not my will. That's what Jesus said in His prayer. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the prayer. That's in verse 6. Verse 7, there's peace. Soundness, without deceit. Prosperity in the person of God. They'll pray for peace, not on our terms, but with Christ reigning. And also, you see, in verse 6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. The kingdom will be a loving place. A loving place. Well, we could read about uh, about some things. Let's do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I know it's the love chapter. Right? Love. Love is lit, this. Love is not that. 1 Corinthians 13. But if love is Christ... And we look at it through the context of the kingdom. We know what's going to be in the kingdom and what's not. Yeah. Right? And those that love Christ will also love the things that he loves and will not love the things he doesn't love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Charity or love. When you see charity, it means love. Suffereth long or is patient. It holds on and is kind. Charity envieth not, or doesn't burn or covet. It doesn't desire something else. 
Charity vaunteth not itself, or doesn't brag or display itself against another. It's not puffed up or proud. It doth not behave itself unseemly or unbecoming or undecent. If someone says that they love and they don't suffer long and they envy and they brag and they're puffed up and they act indecently, that's not signs of love. Young people hear that. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not at her own, or is not is not putting self first, is what that means. Is not easily provoked or easily irritated, thinketh no evil. So if someone says they love, but they're seeking after things that are sinful, it's not love, because love thinketh no evil, or doesn't calculate evil. Love. It rejoiceth not in iniquity. It's not glad in sinfulness and unrighteousness. But again, as David said, he was glad when he said, let us go into the house of the Lord. He was glad when he was pointed to Christ in, in godly worship. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. It, it doesn't find happiness in, in unrighteousness. But rejoiceth in the truth. Who is truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We read that this morning in John 14. It rejoices in Christ. And Christ was obedient to the law and He didn't sin, so you uh, rejoice in the law. Blessed is the man that rejoices in the law. Look at it here. The kingdom beareth or covereth all things in the work of Christ. Believeth. Or, or has faith and entrusts all things in the work of Christ, hopeth or expects all things in confidence in the work of Christ, endureth all things, preserved in the work of Christ under fiery trial. Charity never faileth. Christ never faileth. Love never faileth. And that love, as we read in our text, that love, in verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. The love of God. There's security, there's prosperity, there's abundance, there's quietness. While sinners rage, the children of God are peaceable people seeking the Lord's quiet. Look at verse 9 at the last. Because of the house of the Lord... Because of the dwelling place of God, even God Himself, our God, I will seek thy good. To seek means to search out or strive after. To employ oneself. Yes, we are to pray, thy kingdom come. But our efforts in this life, broadcasting the gospel, the reason Paul was so charged in broadcasting to the Gentiles the gospel as he knew there was a time that the Gentile age would be over and, and Christ himself would bring back the Jews. In like manner, seeking the kingdom of God, we ought to broadcast the gospel. Knowing that it's God that saves sinners, but he has called us to broadcast the gospel, that the house of the Lord would come, that, that the, the kingdom would come. And we would be glad when they said unto us, Let's go into the house of the Lord. We'd be glad as we worked in the kingdom of Christ, toward the kingdom of Christ. 
Child of God, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said, let's go, let's journey on to the house of the Lord, seeking his kingdom. I was glad about Christ himself, his house, and praying for that peaceful, peaceful and loving day. Are we glad both now, here, in this place, and now and in the kingdom to come, are we glad about the house of the Lord? I question someone again that says they love Christ and His kingdom and His dwelling and everything and they have no desire for that. As much as the church is the picture of the kingdom in this sense, as much as the, the, the house of the Lord in David's day was the picture of the kingdom, the kingdom center is just a, a taste of eternity, you see. It's just a taste of eternity because in this, if you look at your map one last time, one day that kingdom's going to end. That thousand years is going to end. You keep reading in Revelation, Satan will be loosed and God will fireball Satan and all remaining sinners and put them in the lake of fire. But then you have eternity. Right? So as much as we're looking forward to the kingdom, the kingdom is just a taste of eternity. Forever being with God, He shall be our God, we will be His people. But sinner, as wonderful as the kingdom sounds, that kids can play on snake dens and, and bears can lie down with, with wolves and that kind of stuff. And Jesus Christ himself will be there and reign in righteousness. As wonderful as the kingdom is, this life's got some hardships. People say they're living hell on earth. They've got no idea. Luke chapter 16. There's a man. Luke chapter 16. And we'll draw. This is, this is the close right here. Luke chapter 16, verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. One of these days, you're either going to die or be raptured. Sinner, if you're in your sins, you will not be uh, raptured when Christ comes in the rapture. You will see death. And that death... <clears throat> He lift up his eyes, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, plural, more than one, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Verse 27. Then he, the rich man, said, I pray therefore, I pray thee therefore, Father Abraham, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, or tell them lest they also come into this place of torment. As much as I am glad to tell the children of God that the kingdom is coming, with all severity, sinner, I tell you that except you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that place of torment is for you. Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Take your Bible, lift it up. I don't know Moses and the prophets, but I read what they've written. Amen. They have Moses and the prophets. Hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went out from, uh, went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, the word of God, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Yep. Do you believe? Do you believe and are glad and in looking toward that kingdom? 
Or do you believe not and are headed to that place of judgment? I encourage you to repent by the power of God. Repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Brother Gary, please come and lead us in a song.